What is up, everyone, and welcome back to Border Nerdy. I am your host, S. Dan the Legend, and with me today to prevent me from rambling in logic loops by myself is somebody that does absolutely nothing to help me focus. Hey, it's Dale. Hey, it's Dale. Yeah, I can't say I'm going to help you, uh, you know, not lose your not lose your focus. I might be the king of losing focus. <laughs> you know, man, I've I've come to find so like. It, this really weird thing has happened to me throughout COVID. Um, I've got a lot of motivations in some projects in my life and zero motivation in other projects in my life. And I can never seem to get the right projects and the right motivation timed up at the correct times of the week. And Bored and Nerdy has become one of those things that I know I do better when I have a guest. Mm-hmm. And Monday night, I start to get hyped for Tuesdays, you know, bored and nerdy, 60 minutes or less. And then I wake up Tuesday mornings. I'm just like, fuck the world. Yeah. And I don't, I don't do anything productive about it. I mean, you ever been there? I, I, that is my (laughs) everyday life. Have I been there? Uh, yeah. I mean, coming from like someone who's had major depressive episodes, like, I completely get that, right? Like that's that is one of the the main symptoms of of depression. Just you, you feel the lack of motivation. It's just another day. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to get up. You don't want to eat. You don't want to sleep. It's just you don't know what you want to do. And that I that it's that COVID life. Like it's it's really affecting everyone. I I feel that. You, so so I I have this thing I called. Uh, you know you can be half asleep or like half awake depending on how you want to phrase it. Sure. I have this thing where I'm half depressed. Okay. Mm. So, so I'll turn on the computer. And I'll be excited to game. I will look at all these titles that like, I know I want to play. And I'm just like, I feel empty. And then I just end up playing TFT. <laughs> I kind of feel that. Uh, back when I was playing a lot of, souls and like the souls like games were my jam anything else and I, I this is i think i might have talked about this before but i lose interest in a lot of things very quickly uh i'm, yeah. I'm the kind of person i need to be active i need to keep doing something i need to keep myself on some sort of pace to keep going if i lose that pace i lose my motivation i lose whatever flow whatever thought i had mm-hmm. And everything just kind of like falls in on itself. The same kind of thing goes with gaming, goes with reading, goes with watching shows, whatever. It is very hard for me to continue something if I'm not instantly grabbed by it. This speaks volumes for shows, for movies, for whatever. Um, and recently, the, the recently these past few years with games in particular, I don't care. I, I don't care about new games. They don't interest me. And I end up returning to all the old games. And then if I branch off of that, I'll play like an hour up two hours. I, 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 why? I, it's, it's not, it's not stimulating me. Why do I want to keep wasting my time on it? So you brought up a couple points there. And the one I think I want to touch on, because I think it relates to uh, what we're going to get into in a little bit here. You know, so I've kind of felt that way too with games recently that come out and have all this hype. Either I don't get the hype or I just don't care. 
So, like, you know, this whole Death Stranding situation, I don't want to play a walking simulator. I, I didn't care that it came to PC. Uh, I've got um, uh, I, I've got very biased feelings of Death Stranding. Um, in in a good or a bad way? In, a, in an I don't care way. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's so, like personal prejudice against the past few the projects. That, yeah, that like uh, Kojima's been on and just how his direction goes. Like, I respect him as a designer, developer, whatever. It just ain't for me. You know, and he was kind of what created so much of the hype behind that project. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, just like um, Ghost of... Oh, man, because with a T, I can't... Uh, for the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just came out, and everybody's super hyped about it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really necessarily get it. So that is that oh. is one of the few things that I'm uh, particularly excited for. You're on board with that one? Uh, yeah. Uh, it looks beautiful. It looks slow-paced, but not in a slow-paced way where I know we've talked about this, right? Especially with, like, uh, Legend of Zelda, uh, Breath of the Wild. It doesn't look slow-paced in a way where it's going to be boring or repetitive. It looks slow-paced in a way where you respect the design, the world, the artistic direction, and appreciate it. It's just... Not a game, but more like a a, a piece of art. And yeah. uh, I was actually watching uh, uh, someone on YouTube today who uh, they're a filmmaker and they're going through uh, various games and offering their like cinematic approach and their thoughts behind making films. Uh, notably, he's done it for Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was a brilliant, uh, brilliant uh, in-depth look at, at um, the camera work, the cinematography, the music cues everything and he's doing this uh for ghost uh, of tsushima it has a photo mode where you can pause you can change the focal length you can do all these different camera effects and just appreciate the game as art as a still moment and it's really really cool see for me that doesn't do anything (laughs) i'm not a movie guy right like and that's i think that's part of why i'm not a movie guy is because i don't care about any of that um, I know, like, if you put a movie where all those things click in front of me versus a movie where all those things do not click in front of me, I could clearly tell that one is better and more enjoyable than the other. Sure. But I couldn't tell you why. and I don't care why. I just want to be entertained. Sure. And, and it's not like that's there's anything wrong with that. Like, every person has their own taste, their own enjoyment, whatever. But something I found recently is that Either A, I'm getting drawn back to older games, or I'm getting drawn to games that remind me of older times. And uh-huh. I don't know if that's just the uh, the boomer in me coming out, where it's <laughs> like, I want what I... But you know me. Like, I give so many games a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, even with uh, 60 Minutes or Less. Like, I, I've... You know how I feel about side-scrollers. You know how I feel about... Uh, the Metroidvanias and like Hollow Knight has been something that we talked about has has changed my whole perception on the genre of the Metroidvania. Uh, uh, I like I'm I'm gonna chime in there. I think it's just because Hollow Knight is the cream of the crop, one of the best examples, one of the best introductions or worst introductions to the Metroidvania style, because there are so many games that lack in comparison. And after playing Hollow Knight, those games seem, well, hollow. <laughs> oh, I dropped the puns already. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the point of it is, though, like, 
I normally would not load a game like that up. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm in this mindset where because everything's kind of like meh, I'm willing to to go for these games. And like Terraria, Terraria is not a not a game I normally would have played. But I got it on sale. John was like, let's play it. And I had a blast with it. But then when I actually think about it, I think what really draws me to, to you know, Hollow Knight and uh, Terraria is that while they do have complexity to them, the mechanics are very simple and very yes. basic. It reminds me of just, I mean, think about how grave a game Sonic is. And it's not because they do anything elaborate. It's just everything is balanced, everything is well-designed, and it just works. Great light. And Sonic, what do you do? You run, you jump. You collect the rings, you die. You run, you jump. You collect the rings, you die. End scene, or end act. Right? Like, But if you do the simple correctly, you, you have people. And uh, I, I feel like a lot of games today focus on being so big and so grand that they miss out on like the most basic components, you know, make your core mechanics and your core gameplay great before you worry about being like insanely elaborate with everything. Yeah. yeah. Do I fall through your map? If the answer to that is yes, I don't care how many hair colors I have. We're looking at you, Bethesda. (laughs) Calling them out. (laughs) Or, you know, like even, I have to say, um, Hello Game is it Hello Games or Hello Gamer? Hello Games, right? They make No Man's Sky. Uh, I'm not sure. So they make No Man's Sky and a couple other games that, off the top of my head, I would have to do a little side research here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that up while I'm making this point. But like, so Bethesda comes out with Fallout 76, mm-hmm. and you know, you know how hyped. I was for Fallout 76. I am a big time um, Fallout fan, and I just was expecting it to be Fallout multiplayer, and I was hyped for it. Mm-hmm. And it fell so hard on its face, and they did nothing to apologize or fix it. As a matter of fact, before they even released the major patch that made the game breaking bugs stable they opened up their microtransaction store right right they have to do a lot to win me back as a customer now i know that there's been some big update to fallout 76 that a lot of people are enjoying and makes it closer to the original fallout experience than uh uh, you know, this this massive open-world MMO thing. It's not enough. You you have offended me on the greatest level. Whereas a game like No Man's Sky, um, they're like, okay, we dropped the ball, and you guys showed us this with sales numbers. Yeah, that that's something I really respect about the company. Even... A lot of people still like to crap on No Man's Sky for not being what it fully delivered, for not delivering whatever promises that they made. But there is a serious amount of effort that went back into it. And that's that's a really interesting comparison. I never really thought about uh, comparing it to Fallout 76 because they just dropped the ball mm-hmm. and did nothing about it. 
there were so many issues. So many issues. Not just at launch. Months after launch. And the team for No Man's Sky delivered patch after patch after patch trying to improve upon everything that they wanted to deliver. Even if it's not fully there. Even if it will never fully be there. You can see the love that they had for it. You can see that they wanted to deliver whatever they could. There's been 13 major content additions um, to No Man's Sky since uh, it came out. And I'm looking this up right now because I'm trying to get the... Okay, so Ray, No Man's Sky drops the ball. Hello Games fails. They say, we apologize. You paid for a game that we did not give you. Let our 25 employees go ahead and drop these 13 major content updates. The game has only been out. Um, I, I had the number up here. I think it's only been out for two years if you count testing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I thought it was longer than that myself. Uh, but 13 major content updates, that that's you're getting regular content updates. Bethesda Studios has over 400 employees and it took you almost two years to drop the one update that made your game playable. That, like, how can it take 400 people that long to do what 25 people have done 13 times? I don't have an answer for you. Kind of it, it's it's disheartening. A very right? I I certainly agree with that. But I feel like a lot of uh so there there's two things I really hate in, in games today. And I think there are two things that if they continue the way they are, um I actually see AAA publishers being a thing of the past if they continue this way. Okay. I think pre-release and early access are going to be the death of AAA titles. The reason I say this, if No Man's Sky was not as hyped as it was, if people did not, if there were, if there was record-breaking pre-orders when that game dropped on the PlayStation? Question mark. It might have been the Xbox, one of the two consoles. It had record-breaking numbers for pre-orders. Now you have all these people that are disappointed. Mm-hmm. They become more hesitant, more reluctant to put pre-orders in in the future. A lot of these games, um, uh, sorry, game companies, these developers allocate their resource based on the statistics of pre uh, pre orders, right? Sure. Early access. These companies are getting their 1999, which seems to be the standard for these early access games. They're getting their 1999 off of steam. They're keeping games in early access with the tag beta so that they never actually have to fix what's broken in the game. So like they can for just blame instance, it on being in beta. PUBG was in beta for almost uh, uh, two and a half years before it went to 1.0. Mm-hmm. Fortnite, a lot of people don't realize this, until season two of Fortnite, it was considered early access. 
it had already made a billion dollars, but because there were still bugs, they put that early access tag out there to get away with not giving you a complete game. And people are becoming more and more aware of it. Um, even within our own gaming circle, Dale, John won't buy a game if it has early access attached to it. I respect that. I will not pre-order or pre-download a game. I am now at the point where I have to see it played by multiple people of multiple skill levels before I could decide whether or not I'm going to purchase your game because I've been disappointed and let down by so many titles. I was going to ask if that's like bad faith, if that's being taken advantage of by the, by the, by the, the publishers, the developers, or like what other factors contribute to that? I, I just feel like it's predatory practices. They know they're going to get their money. Mm. They're living off of like, they're spending more money on the marketing and advertising before the game even drops than they are on supporting the game once it comes out. That is, and I, I, I agree with that. And that is really sad. I, I like the idea, right? The thought of early access games, you spend your money, you support a great product and that developer uses that money to polish off and finish their product to then serve you a, a higher quality, whatever, potentially other perks, whatever you get for early access. Now it's kind of just become like your asset flip, right? Your unity asset flip. You don't put any work into it. You get it out, you get your money and then boom, dead game. It's who, um, Jesus Christ, who was the, the guy that did, Radical Heights, Cliffy B, perfect example, oh. right? So, for those who are not aware, um, Radical Heights was actually a lot of fun. We played it a lot amongst our friend group. Oh, it was so much um, fun. You know, it was a, it was a 80s based, uh, BR. It was more arcadey. It kind of had like an H1Z1 vibe to it as opposed to like a PUBG vibe to it. And it was being produced by Cliffy B of Epic Games, who made uh, Gears of War. And there was a lot of hype about it. it. It was at all the E3s. It was at all the cons, right? And then uh, they cleared something like $25 million. And the game wasn't even out for a full year. I think it was like six months. And I remember saying to Spoo, I remember the exact conversation. Because I was playing that game like every single day with Spoo. I said, Spoo, I don't want to put additional money into microtransactions just to have another publisher drop the ball on what they promise. I'm going to give this game 30 days. And if they continue to support it over these 30 days, I will buy. There was like a gem pack for clothing and stuff like that. I was like, I will buy the, the 1999 gem pack if after 30 days they continue to support this game. Every single week, on Tuesday, without fail, patch notes, new items. Patch notes, BMX. Patch notes, you know, like they've just, every Tuesday, they delivered. So after the fourth Tuesday that they updated it, I was like, all right, man, here's my money. Spoo, we're going all in. We're going to get big as a duo in Radical Heights. Literally the next morning, they announced they were shutting down the servers. Oh, man. That's that's unfortunate too, because it's not even if memory serves right, 
the loss, especially for Cliffy, came from Lawbreakers and how that wasn't doing well as their, like, Quake equivalent Twitch shooter. Uh, and that just factored into everything else. And it was such a loss for them. But how are you going to take... So Radical Heights, they netted... So, right, so here's where I'm talking about these predatory practices and how I will never support a project that he's on again. They cleared $25 million on an early access that had microtransactions. So you paid your $19.99 to get your early access to the game. And then to fully shut down all... It wasn't like, hey, guys, we're going to slowly close down servers, but you guys could keep playing on, like, private servers. Nope. Fully shut down all access to the game. If you try to boot it up right now, it's in your Steam library. You can't get anywhere, right? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that makes me reluctant. When, like, to your earlier point about, I would love to look at early access like Kickstarter. You know, so the Black Mesa project is a great example of early access that I don't mind supporting. Um, for those unfamiliar, Black Mesa is a fan-made remake of the original Half-Life with, is it Gary's mod that they're making it on? I, I, the, for like the engine or the, the source, whatever. I, I don't it know. It looks, it looks way better than the original Half-Life did. And, um, they gave you up until when the rift opens. And that was as far as they got, but they didn't hide that from you. You knew that when you were getting in and they just released like, two or three months ago they now have it's gonna be like released in three acts and they they got enough money that they could put enough time into it that they released acts two you know so like you're supporting the project as it goes to get a completed thing in the end and i have no problem supporting a game or a developer that's doing early access because listen guys i want to give you this but the only way i could do it is if i get some funding but so many companies have tainted that vibe for me. I just don't know. Like, I just, I can't do it anymore. You know, kind of off topic, but you mentioned the three acts and being upfront about what they're delivering. Um, it reminds me of the Final Fantasy VII remake. Like, they announced, God, five years ago? However long ago, that the first part of the remake it was just going to be the opening Midgar section, right? You're just getting the first roughly five to eight hours of the original game as the first part of the full remake collection. And people are so upset by this. Does that mm. kind of fall within your predatory nature as well? Or because you know, because right. It, so I don't know if, if you have like advanced feelings on it. So, I would put that kind of, I would, I would like it that closer to the Master Chief collection, right? So like, hey guys, we're going to give you the whole entire Halo saga, but you're only going to get it in increments. And it sounds like that's what they were doing here with Final Fantasy VII. It, if they're being up front and they're like, hey, this is what you're getting and we'll give you the rest when we give you the rest, you're signing up for that. But don't pull the wool over my eyes and then snatch the rug out from under my feet. Like, just be honest with us because you are hurting 
indie developers and small developers that cannot complete their projects without our funding by doing like these shady, terrible business deals where you're ripping me off and I don't realize it until you've already got my money and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course you can't ask for a refund because it's been too late or you sunk too many hours in a game exactly. or whatever. Exactly. And that, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, uh, Sheeny over here in, in the chat is talking about like escape from Tarkov is another game that has been hiding behind, um, the early access tag since 2017. Um, I think their current build is like 0.14 or something like that. Now I will say they do a great job of constantly, constantly updating the game. Um, Nicola or something to that effect is uh, the lead dev of um, Battle State Games. He does a weekly podcast on Twitch where he tells you essentially it's a it's a Twitch podcast that acts as their Trello. This mm. is what we're working on. This is what this team's doing. This is what that team's doing. This is our expected due date of it. And now the reason I think that that has to be done and, and it's important for um, Escape from Tarkov is so many big streamers out there play Tarkov. You know, mm -hmm. Summit plays Tarkov, Lupo plays Tarkov. Uh, even who was the other guy? Uh, I'm a cutie pie. The, the League of Legends streamer started playing Tarkov, you know. There are bundles. You could get the game for as cheap as $30, but there's a bundle that's 120 bucks, And people are buying it because there's in-game benefits for that. It is pay to win. Um, you're getting benefits in-game for that $120. I think it's very important when you have that. That's two full-length AAA titles worth of money. Mm -hmm. You have to be transparent, and you have to let people know what you're working on. Um, I think they do a very good job with it. Tarkov still has some core mechanics that need to be worked on. But unlike uh, where I think Fallout 76 was like, what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with our core mechanics. Here, <laughs> have a pretty little wallpaper for your your house that is clunky as hell. Five bucks per wallpaper. It's like um, it's like trying to distract the player from the problem. That's that's how I kind of feel about it, right? Like we have all these problems with our games, but look, if you buy this, you don't have to think about that. Look, you can buy this. We'll try to distract you and, you know, throw whatever else in front of you to, to, to take away from the problem. It's a scummy used car salesman tactic, right? Oh, look, it's got a sunroof. Is it supposed to be leaking there? Yeah, but look, power windows. No, like, I'm pretty sure that's oil dropping out of the bottom of the car. Oh, did I mention it's got seat warmers? Oh, shit, seat warmers? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, so I, I think that people are becoming more and more enlightened to the way of the early access and, and the letdown of the pre-order. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be problematic. I, I'm finding more and more people, um, that game as much as I do, which is entirely too much <laughs> that are feeling like they are reluctant to get involved with games at launch. Um, especially like a single player game. I've, mm -hmm. I've actually gotten to the point where 
I don't need to play a single player game for years after it comes out. Right? Because there's not like when when a Call of Duty drops, you have to play it while it's popular before the lobby start to die off. You sure. know, or before everybody's grinding prestige. With a single player game, if I wait two years, it'll be probably my humble monthly. Like the only thing if you're playing a single player game, single player story driven game, the only factor is is this game gonna be spoiled for me by the time I play it? But that's such like that is such a non-issue compared to the death of multiplayer games because it's dependent on its community. Yeah. Well, also, you know, spoiling, I'll be honest with you, spoiling, um, sorry for that little mic pop, anybody that was listening, <laughs> I just smacked my microphone so hard. Um, spoilers, I've always had a, a certain feeling about it, right? With video games, I think it's very easy to avoid spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um I have it easy because I don't watch a lot of streamers. And when I do watch streamers, you've played a couple games that I know I'm going to play. I come in and go, hey, man, love you. Here's the support. Here's the lurk. I'm peacing out because I'm playing this game. For sure. Right. Games are a lot easier to spoil, especially in my profession. Uh, easier to avoid spoiling, especially in my profession, because there's not a lot of teachers that, that game like I do. So... You know, it's not like a a television show or a movie that, you know, people are going to be sitting around the lounge talking about. So I don't have that issue. Um, And a lot of the people on my social media don't talk about games or I will actively avoid social media if I'm really trying to like. When Red Dead 2 came to PC, I I, I thought that was going to be a game I was going to be more into. You know, I actively avoided social media for the time period until that kind of cooled off that hype cooled off. Um, but there is validity to those that are more involved in, you know, the YouTube, uh, review community. If you've got like, I know there's people out there that have, um, sub, uh, what's it called? The people they subscribe to, it creates like a playlist with their most recent content. And they just sit down and press play. And I could see how that could be an issue for, uh, people that take, they're watching of other people playing video games way more seriously than I do. I am definitely in that camp. Yeah, man, like I feel bad as a content creator, especially with uh, so many other content creators that I consider close friends. I have more friends on the internet that I consider close than, than real life friends. You know, I feel bad because like I f- want to be in their chats and supporting them more. But if I have time to watch you game, I have time to be gaming and I have time to be creating my content. And I, I suffer very much with like the guilt of not supporting people as much as I know they support me. F's boys. F's. F's in chat. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's a really tough line to straddle, but at the same time, like ev- everyone is different. Everyone's going to have a different interest in a uh, different value of interest it's not a measurement of whether they care about you or not that has nothing to do with it people have their own lives have their own things that they want to do that they want to focus on doing and i think it's uh, how, how do, i don't want to say it's rude to think that someone not being present it's presumptuous that, presumptuous that perfect perfect word to think that you know they don't care 
it, it uh, you don't matter to them. They don't want to support you. Whatever it is, people have their own lives. People have their own things that they want to do. People have their own greater interests. And I mm. feel like that's something that a lot of people need to uh, keep in mind. Yeah. So I have this. I know you'll you'll probably be right there with me on this one. So I have a lot of friends in life that I don't see. I don't call. I don't text. But yet they are my friend. And even if I haven't spoken to them in two years, if they were to call me right now and go, I need you. I would not consider that them only reaching out because they need me. I'd be like, that's my friend. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So a great example of this, uh, Kelly, that we used to D&D with. Mm -hmm. Right. One of my dearest friends. I, I would trust her with my life. I, I absolutely love her. She's an amazing person. I don't talk to her. We go months at a time without even sending like a hello text. And both of us are okay with that because we know that when it's right for us to see each other and when it's like time for us to hang out, we will. And if we're not hanging out, we don't want to bother each other for whatever it is that we are doing. And that's like, we're cool with that. And I don't presume that she's not reaching out because she doesn't care. I'm just sitting here hoping that, you know, she's having the best time and like doing her thing. For sure. Absolutely. You know, that's kind of like, like Twitch viewers. However, I will not lie. It does hurt my feelings a tiny little bit when I spot one of my regulars and somebody else's channel and they <laughs> haven't said hi to me. It hurts. <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, that's the life of a, that's the life of a streamer and content creator. Oh man. There, there's certain people. It's like, I laugh. I laugh. Um, there's certain people. I feel like we just kind of hot potato mm -hmm. and, and not in the way that you don't want to get stuck with them, but like you do want to hold on to the hot potato. Cause it's nice and warm and it's potatoes. Who doesn't love potatoes? <laughs> but you know, there's, there's periods of time where I'll go without seeing somebody and I'll pop into like iron fire's channel. I'll be like, Oh, you're over here. Or I'll yeah. pop into your channel. I'm like, Oh, you're with Dale. You know, like we have these, these individuals that, and I think it's really cool is that it's not just my community anymore. You know, I feel like I've, I've stolen a little bit of your community and I've given you some of mine. And then, you know, some of Iron Fire's folks have, have roamed over here and uh, Rourke's folks. And, like, it's a cool and unique vibe. And I, I honestly, now that I think about it, it really is a lot like Kelly and mine's friendship where, yeah, they might have left. But I know they'll come back because mm -hmm. they just it's it's an amoeba. Who's playing the thing I'm interested in? I'm going to go hang out with them for now. Oh, look, Dale Change. He's playing this game I'm really into. Let's go check out this creepy half-robot teddy bear thing. <laughs> so I have no clue what's going on in that game or that story. But every uh, time I look up, that creepy bear is on the screen. So for context, uh, I'm currently playing through uh, Dongan Rampa. Uh, Danganronpa tri Trigger Happy Havoc. Uh, it's a visual novel style game. Uh, you play a main character. There's a lot of text. Think of it like a virtual comic book. Um, but there's actual like gameplay parts of it, which is really neat and different from a lot of other virtual novels. 
but it's basically like you control the character gameplay parts. Yeah, you like you can walk around the the setting that you're set in. Uh, you can interact with characters, make dialogue decisions. There are like different dialogue trees. Uh, uh, there is like one of the core mechanics is at the end of a chapter, you're going to this court pseudo court trial case. That's not like actual court. It's, it's complicated. Uh, <laughs> and you, you have to like select the truth or the lies and combat with your own like objections and your truths and present evidence. And it's not just clicking a button, right? And saying, this is the next text. This is the next text there. You are actively involved in the, hmm. in the gameplay. It's, People don't like visual novels for a reason. I don't. They're they're bland. They're boring. They're monotonous. I completely get it. But this story, the characters, the gameplay has me intrigued. And I'm not like a super visual novel person. It is. Oh, and I, I love the art. The art is so good. And it really reminds me of like Persona art beat, uh, meets uh, Dead Man in Wonderland. It's phenomenal. I have not played any of the persona games, but I was kind of thinking I've seen cover art and still shots of persona. And I was kind of thinking that while I was, while I was uh, watching is that that's what that reminded me of. Um, on the topic of it, uh, shit, I forgot the name of it. God of high school. Is that the name of this thing I'm thinking about? Um, high school. I can't say I'm familiar. God of high school, the God of high school. So, I'm just gonna put this on your radar, okay? Because I know, like me, you are a um, you are a huge. All right, we'll just say it. you're a weep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, accept it. I own um, it. <laughs> I'm not a weep because you're a fucking weep, but like secretly, I'm a weep. Um, the God of High School. I've had. I've heard this hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped, and I finally got around to reading. Um, the all the manga that's currently available for it oh man it's good dale and i'm just gonna say i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sell you on it for any other point than like it's good try it for yourself let me know what you think i don't want to put i got an immediate vibe from watching it I got immediate. I'm like, this feels just like this show. Uh, sorry, I read it, but this I got like the immediate vibe of like it feels like this. I want to see what vibe you get from it if you check it out. So it's called The God of High School. So it's uh, it felt like Duncan Rumpa. That's what you're saying? No, no, no. Oh. It, it had a feel of a show. I'm intentionally avoiding. Like I don't oh, want to put bias it feels in your like head. Blank. Yes, and okay. then if you okay. check it out, I want you to say to me it felt like, and I want to see if it matches up. Because like for me, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those things. You know, how sometimes you sit down, and you watch a show, and you're like, man, this reminds me of something. I can't put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. There was the there time. was none of, there was none of that. The second the second I got done with my experience, I was like, it's this. This is what it reminds me of, and I like it. I'm really hoping that I've read or seen whatever it reminds you of now. (laughs) Because my first thought is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna watch it, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, 
You can watch it on Crunchyroll or, you know, anywhere you could get Crunchyroll shows, you can um, you can catch it. Speaking of, Danganronpa also has an anime that you can watch, so uh, the more you know. Oh, man. It's been a minute <laughs> since I talked about animes on this show. Um, I did, I did, I, whether it was last episode or the episode before, uh, I did touch back on Promise Neverland. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I've heard good things. So here's what I'm really excited about. Um, I share an app on my phone with um, a good a good friend of my wife's soon to be husband. Uh, it's the Shonen Jump app. Is that really all this is? Okay, uh, it used to be yeah, called there, there, Shonen Jump app. Yeah. So I was locked out of it because he pays yearly, and he just you know think about it. Do you really know when your Xbox Live membership comes out? No, it comes out and you're like, son of a bitch, I can't afford that right now, right? <laughs> so he let it lapse because he didn't realize that the year had, had come up. Um, so I was up to chapter 163 of Promise Neverland. And it's like, it's in a really, really dope little spot right now. Um, we, just, we had one terrible story arc. And that terrible story arc immediately went into like, we're sorry, the writers were on vacation. Let's make it up to oh, you with gosh. this baller story arc. And then I got locked out. Oh, and so like you're you're just getting there. You just get into that climax to whatever resolution. And then you're just and I'm locked, locked out, right? Oof. So uh for the wife's birthday, we had a small gathering for like a barbecue. And um he was there. And he was like, yo, man, have you caught up on... I forgot what he asked me. And it was something he knows. I, I want to say it was like One Piece or something like that. Uh, he knows I don't read One Piece. I don't uh, like uh, One Piece. I, I really... I don't have anything against anybody that's into it. The art style just makes me think of like SpongeBob. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like you have to be a little kid to like the art style of it. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't agree with the SpongeBob reference, but... <laughs> That is the entire reason why I was turned off of One Piece as well. Not only is it super long and it's been so long running, kind of like, I guess, Dragon Ball uh, at this point, mm-hmm. Dragon Ball Z at this point, and it has like such this history behind it, but the art style just looked odd. I didn't find anything super appealing by it. And obviously, like, these are, it's a show. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a manga, right? Like the visual 929 aspect of it. 29 chapters of it. Gosh, yeah, it's wild. Uh, and it, like, it being a, a a visual medium, right? Like you, you have to be attracted to what you see. You have to yeah. have some reason to, to to find it relevant and to find it appealing to you. And it, more respect to those to those who 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 enjoy it. Uh, uh, one of my one of my mods, it's their favorite series, and I give them crap all the time because I just I I I cannot get on get into it i can't i can't do it's the same reason i can't do one punch man like your hero looks like a a bald taller krillin well krillin's <laughs> bald too but uh so yeah so he's like dude have you caught up on one piece knowing good and damn well like i don't i don't read one piece i was like no bro i haven't caught up on anything because i'm locked out i'm really trying to read this next chapter of dr stone which by the way dr oh, stone is God. dope yeah uh, fantastic fantastic uh, series and, and the the artwork if you want to talk about like artwork 
if you could ever find, I didn't realize this. This is something that's also cool about Dr. Stone. So um, I read it on the app we have. And on the app we have, it's in black and white. But -hmm. you could actually get fully colorized issues of all the Dr. Stones. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. I was like, no, man. You, I'm locked out. You changed your password or something. You didn't tell me. It's like, oh, no, man, I just forgot to pay it. I paid it like a couple weeks ago, so you should be able to get back in. So I scroll immediately to Promised Neverland, and there's 30 chapters waiting oh, for gosh. me. <laughs> I was caught up, and there's nothing worse than being caught up to something that you're, like, vigorously consuming, you know? It, it's it's like going out to Netflix and being like, there's six seasons of this. You're like, hell yeah. You finish it, and then you hear on TV that they're launching season seven. You watch the first two episodes, and you're like, nah, man, I'm going to release it on Netflix. I can't do this one episode a week stuff. So I've got 30 chapters of Promised Neverland to catch up on. I am so hyped for it. Yeah, so good hyped. stuff. But I was actually talking with a, a bus fare about he's been recommending a lot of these um, animes that are on Netflix. Um, like the Netflix one, originals. I don't know if they're originals or if they're just there. There's one. I, I probably get initials wrong. I want to say it's B N A maybe. Um, but like he's super hyped on it. He was talking about how great it is. So I go up to Netflix. Um, I click on anime, and then they pop up, and it's most of the same garbage I've already watched, <laughs> or stuff I just have like no interest in. And there's this one show that the art, the splash art reminded me of um berserk and, and you know my feelings towards berserk i it's borderline's own obsession i'm like all right i'll watch this dude it might be the worst anime i have ever watched and oh, for no. some damn reason i am 32 episodes into it oh no what, what was it it's, it's called baki b-a-k-i it is it is terrible. It is the story makes no sense. They they uh, George R R Martin us a lot. Where like this random character shows up out of nowhere. He spends the announcer, the narrator of the show, spends five minutes explaining who this guy is, how he trained, what his special ability is, and then three minutes later he's dead. It took longer for the guy to explain what who this character is than it took for the character to actually have a part in the show. Yikes. Is terrible. The voice acting is terrible. If you watch it with subtitles and the dub on does not line up at all. I'm not just talking about like substituting, like, you know, the voice actors going, you know, that's bullshit. And then the subtitles are going, I don't believe you. It's not like that. It'll be like (laughs) the guys going, that's bullshit. And the subtitles will be, but you know, I'm in love with you. <laughs> like it does. <laughs> it's so great. Oh, it's so bad that it's good. That's funny. I I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued now. I, I was thinking like, what's a series that I've watched. I haven't really enjoyed, but I kept watching. My first thought is Hajima no Ippo. It's about a kid who is going to, uh, who's a boxer, one of like the top boxers in his area, and his journey 
of being the best and failing and being the best and learning. What I like about it, it's not just the main character. It does mm. such a good job. Like, I care more about the supporting cast, some of the supporting cast, than I do the main character. And that is so, such a good sign to me. And it's kind I of the main character that detracts like from it for me. I love shows like that. And there's not... there. So, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... So, the show's called Baki. Baki's the kid that the show's about. Mm-hmm. Baki might not be in three episodes in a row. And to your point, some of the actual good storylines that exist have nothing to do with him. And there's very few shows that... I think the only other show that comes to mind immediately when I think of that, that does like a good job of, you know, let's put the, uh, the main character to the side for a minute. And then, you know, we'll, we'll get you to care about all these other people. The only one that really comes to mind for me is cowboy bebop. I was just going to say, Oh God, they do such a phenomenal job with that in cowboy bebop. You know, the, the way they, there's just like, the way they make you care about, you know, like Faye or, or, or Jet or like, you know, just literally anybody else. It's, it's nice. It's refreshing. And it makes it feel like, especially, I'm trying to trying to think of the proper way to word what, what I want to say, right? There's shows out there, you know, if the show is called One Punch Man, you know that the dude that, I know he's got a name. I'm just going to call him the One Punch Man. You know Saitama, he's never going to die. Yeah. You know he's not going to die because the show's about him, right? But when you get me to care about all these multiple people, dude, it's like Glenn dying in The Walking Dead, man. Like spoilers. <laughs> yeah, sorry, decade later, guys. Glenn <laughs> dies, right? You when you make people care about the peripheral cast, there's more investment, and when you take them away from us, it just makes us appreciate those that are left that much more because it's like, don't glenn me, bro. Bro, don't glenn me. You know? So good. So good. I think I have seen that one though. Though you said it's about a boxer? Yeah, Hajime no Ippo. It's it's pretty old from the early nineties. I want to say it's from either late eighties, early nineties, yeah, and it's been continuing okay. for years. Uh, about your point with like supporting cast, though, I think that a lot of shows are getting better at recognizing that it's not just this one central character. The cast is important; they all do their own things. Uh, you talked about. Uh, Cowboy Bebop, I cannot talk about my love for that series enough. I think it is beautiful. Uh, Bacano is another mm. Mm. light novel slash anime series. Um, for anyone who's not heard of Bacano, it follows various different like mob families and it swaps between different periods of time and it's it's convoluted for a reason you're following, trying to follow like all these twisting, uh, uh, stories and leads. And you, you, you care about every character, even if they're not good characters, even if they're the antagonist, you care about them. 
because that's the point of view that you're you're presented with. It's a fantastic way of like uh, having the viewer relate to and uh, uh, not identify. Connect. C connect with. Yeah, absolutely. That one's kind of old too, isn't it? I want to say that one's at least like a decade old. Oh yeah, probably probably around there. Um, I want to say like the, around the two thousand. Oh God, let me get this wrong. At least post two thousand five to like twenty tens. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, any, I, I'm thinking it's in that five year gap somewhere. That one, I want to say that that show, and I think Cowboy Bebop had this too. Um, it had a smaller episode count. That knowing when to end is like oh god so important. Otherwise, you end up with Dragon Ball Super. This is what so they just added Avatar uh, to Netflix, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. it's 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 relevant now. Three seasons, the show from its conception was planned to have three seasons, three different books. And right. that's all they wanted to do. And then they went on with, with the comics. They went on with Legend of Korra. They, they expanded the universe. But the central story of the show for Avatar The Last Airbender was planned to have a start, conflict, climax, and a resolution. And they stuck to that. That is one of the greatest pieces of media to come out that knows where to end. And end in a satisfying manner. So my my nineteen year old brother does not a watch TV, b watch anything that can remotely come close to anime. He is obsessed with Avatar. He just discovered it. Like I was over at my mom's house. It was my mother's birthday yesterday, and he was like, "Dude, huh. this is how he talks. <laughs> Dude, huh. like you know what? I just started watching. <laughs> You're gonna laugh at me." I was like, what, what, Spongebob? He's like, no, man, Avatar. I was like, bro, good shit. And he's into it, man, and he likes it. And, and watching that, because I watched it for the first time, um, I think I also talked about Avatar in, in an episode, one of my random self-ramblings. Um, I watched it for the first time since COVID happened. Uh, I... I think I finished the whole entire thing in the span of a week. Um, only watching from like midnight till two in the morning. Um, loved it, dude. But I was very, something I was really impressed with. And I guess. So first things first, I wrote it off when I was younger because it was on Nickelodeon. Sure. Um, I, at the time Avatar came out, I was really, really into like Inuyasha and Trigun. Those were like my jams at that time. I, I can respect Trigun. Um, you know, I just realized I don't know how Inuyasha ends. And that kind of bothers me. Well, I oh, believe sorry. it's still on Netflix. So there's your next. I, next I digress. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm impressed with not only that, you know, here's some pretty well choreographed fights and, and the pacing of the fights was very nice, too. Yes. Um, yes. You know, you didn't get, like, these three-episode-long fights. It was, Dream you know. Well. Yeah. It, it was really nice. I enjoyed that. But I was also surprised at how many 
huge global issues that are still relevant and important today that show discussed. You have everything from um, environmental conservation to feminism to uh, love is love to, I mean, like you have everything. That show has everything. It's yeah, amazing. There, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of deep themes, and I don't think they're used cheaply. I don't think no. from from pure memory, I don't remember any themes being presented as a joke, as something that's not serious or going to be made fun of. Like it's presented as an actual challenge, a conflict that needs to be resolved or addressed. Hmm. Well, I mean, one of the greatest ones, I think it's swept under the rug um, and it's so ahead of their time. Sokka, his entire story arc is about to uh, toxic masculinity. Yes. And Sokka is one of my favorite characters. They change. People always talk about Zuko having the best character redemption arc about Zuko's character being so noteworthy, so redeeming. I think Sokka's changed from the very first episode we meet him about him berating his sister to the attitude he has not only about his sister, but about women in general changes so much in the, mm -hmm. in, in, in the, the, uh, in the different seasons. It's astounding. And it is, it's not presented that he's this good person, that he's this, you know, flawless person. When we first meet him, we see him as a joke Right, as something that we don't want to uphold. And he makes those changes. He meets the people who who affect him. One of my favorite bits um, is when he goes to the haiku uh, school. Yeah. And when he gets his ass kicked by the Kyoshi uh, warriors. I think those are such empowering moments of the show. Well, you know, even even at the very end, right, when spoiler 20 years later, <laughs> even at the very end, when he finally runs back into his dad. Right. Oh, God, yeah. And, and his dad's like, dude, you don't need to be any of those things you think you need to be. You just need to be like you, you know, just be the caring, loving person you are. And and that's enough. And it, it goes. They. The transition goes at such a pace, and I think it has to do with the fact that they knew we have three seasons to to have Sokka make this change. Mm -hmm. um, it's so gradual, but from beginning to end, it's so noticeable. That's great, and man. This is where I'm going to bring up Game of Thrones. Um, da -da. Daenerys, though. So, yeah, Sokka had that arc. Sokka, you know... Uh, book one, book three, done. We're introduced to Daenerys, book one of uh, season one, whatever. And in the show, right, because we're still in the confines of the show, book mm -hmm. separate. You go from season one through five, it's okay. You get to season six, okay. It's I'm concerned. Season seven, seeing things slowly unravel, and it's like season eight is just whiplash in terms of her character. And where things mm -hmm. are headed, it's, there was no, this is how we planned things to go. This is how we want things to move organically and naturally. 
could things have gotten there? Yeah, they were. I think that they were trying to work their way into having her character move in that direction. But they gave it to us in such a way that it felt so forced and unnatural. Right. I, I have to believe that they thought that the book series would be completed well before the show series was ever completed. And there's a lot. So on the topic of that, I, I got scolded the other day. Um, so I've read the books and I've watched the show. And I was at a gathering where my sister-in-law uh, was doing a cosplay of uh, Sansa for some photo shoot. And I was talking about it. I was like, God, I can't stand her as a character. She's like, oh, really? She's my favorite. I was like, why? Uh, why? She doesn't do anything. Anything, yeah. And in my <laughs> opinion, in my opinion, she perpetuates the narrative of the helpless woman that everything will work out okay if you just shut up and do what you're told. Appreciate because it. I, I 100% agree. Like I, and, but every female that was there looked at me sideways and I was, I was kind of hoping that you understood why they were looking at me sideways because, you know, I think of there's so many, there's so many strong female characters in game of Thrones. Hello, Brienne. Um, you have Brienne Tarth, you have Arya, you have, um, I could picture her face right now in the show. The, uh, uh, Theon Greyjoy's sister, uh, it begins with Aisha, something to that effect. I know who you're talking. I cannot remember it. Um, I mean, literally every oh, single, man. every single sailor that's ever sailed under her is like, she's the best leader. She's better than any dude we have. But yet, Asha. When, what, that's your name. What was it? Asha. Asha. I was close. I was close. You know, there's all these very strong females involved. You can even look, listen, manipulative as she may be. The Queen of Thorns, she ran shit, all right? But I, I think it's Queens of Roses, but I call her Queens of Thorns, um, of Highgarden. I just don't get, I don't get how, how Sansa, I, I just don't get it. I don't. I really, really, really wish somebody could explain it to me that does understand, because to me, I was so frustrated because every man that came into her existence took advantage, took advantage of her, but yet she always ended up better off after each story than before she started. Now I know a lot of people will be like, well, that's the narrative of, of women today. That's, the struggles of the real life woman. I get that, but I, I felt for me personally, I felt they presented it in such a way that made me feel like they were telling women just suffer this to get your rewards as mm -hmm. opposed to Aria and Bree and Asha that just were like, no, I will not tolerate this. I will go get what is mine because I deserve it. And I don't need no man to do it. And that is very seriously. I, <laughs> I also have very negative feelings about the way Cersei was portrayed. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed early Cersei. That was just like, yes, I am a snake, 
but I'm a snake because I'm protecting my children and this is a mother's love. I mm. loved that Cersei. But when it went from, yeah, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice my kids as long as I get to be on the Iron Throne. That was when I was like, I, I no longer agree with this. And as someone who's not, <clears throat> excuse me, as someone who's not read the books yet, I don't know if, I, I have to assume that there's a, a difference in intention and how she goes about with whatever actions that she does and how it's separated from the book to the, to the show. But it, I would think it, oh, that yeah. part of her character development is that's the point, right? She's, she is this, she's the snake, but she wants to be a protective mother. And it's supposed to be jarring that she would break away from that, that she would be willing to sacrifice whatever considering where she started the question becomes is that presented in a in an organic matter and does it make sense from the character that we first started with i you know yes if 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 that was the intention um they did do it in a very organic way you know she she does lose her son in the book as she does in the show um and then her younger son i can't remember tommen or something like that i don't know i didn't care about him at all um, he doesn't end up loving her, even though she made, he turns her back, his back on her, um, even though she made sacrifices for him and, um, she eventually chooses Jamie over her children, as uh, the, the oh. cliff notes. I have so many words about <laughs> where they ended. I, God. So yes. welcome to game of Thrones, the podcast. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so frustrating. Uh, but, uh, but to wrap it back around to Sansa, I guess, or unless you had another point. Well, I was just going to say, I, 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 it was done in organic, organic way in the book that I could buy that it was intentional. It just, it, it frustrated me because initially she was a very strong female character who, while she did do scummy things, she did them for her family, and it was presented in a way that, like, I could get behind it. And even though she was doing scumbaggery, I respected her as a mother. Sure. And then when they took that away, I didn't care about her anymore. Because all your attachment to her is just gone at that point, right? I, you're not doing yeah, but this I also... purpose anymore. Why do I care? What else do I have to know? What else have I associated you with and why do i care well yeah part of it is that absolutely absolutely it was like you know that that's who she was um just like when john snow gets gets shanked and dies you know and he's like really becoming this magical being of the north like i was super into it and then the show was like we're just gonna forget all that and guess what i stopped caring about john snow because that was my attachment to him is the magic of the north but mm-hmm. I think more of what got to me about the Cersei story and the, what gets to me about the Sansa story is like, I, I call it the body armor argument. I prefer science fantasy to sci-fi. It's why I don't like Star Wars, right? It's, not, it's why I, I don't really get into Star Trek and all that stuff. I prefer this, the realm of science fantasy. I hate the way that strong women are portrayed in science fantasy. 
the man goes out there in a shining suit of armor. The woman has like a pleated chainmail skirt and like a chest piece. You know, I, I felt like this was another. There's so much of woman bashing and uh, just like masculinity in the Game of Thrones books that I truly cherish the strong female characters that were in there. Mm-hmm. It, it, they brought something different into the, the world. It's like I could get a Jon Snow anywhere. I could get a Jamie Lannister anywhere. Tyrion, on the other hand, I love Tyrion because he it, it kind of laughed in the face of ableism. You know, here's yeah. a, a twisted dwarf that was rejected by his father. And look what he did without anybody's help. Stop counting out, you know, those with disabilities. So when they when they kind of took Cersei that way and when they, in my opinion, perpetuated um the stereotype that is Sansa, like it just it just rubbed me the wrong way in general. And not so much just for their story, but because like I'm kind of just tired of seeing that. And you know, I was a huge Brienne fan. Brienne of Tarth is probably my top three characters from Game of Thrones, just because from beginning to end, she was a good person. She did the right things. She was one of the strongest warriors. She refused to adhere to beauty standards. When she went into combat, she wore what the men wore. She didn't want to fight. You know, like she wanted to be treated just like everybody else, and she earned the respect of everybody for being a fighter, not for being a woman fighter. And that was like my whole deal. Anyways, I will get off my soapbox now. <laughs> I completely agree with all of that. I yeah, I, I agree with the comments about about Brienne, one of my top characters as well. So, Game of Thrones, the podcast. Um, you know, one of these days, Dale will have to uh, spend two years reading the books. Um, and then he can tell me if he agrees with my assessments. Because I will say, after I watched episode one of the show, I was like, nope, not doing this. Read through chapter five of uh, chapter five, book five, before I watched another episode. Mm-hmm. I spent the entire time watching the TV series just going, this isn't what happens. Not even the book's better or the book did it better, but just flat out, this is not what happened. There are characters. Sorry, Sorry, I was just going to say that there's characters that die in the book that are alive in the show or die in the show that are alive in the book. Like, that's how different it is. And that that right there is exactly the reason why I didn't want to read while watching or finish reading before finishing the show. I didn't want to have any external opinions on what happened from a source that came out before something else. I'd rather have the idea of some sort of like medium that comes out after the original product because I know that's not the original thought. And I'm not going to hold it to the same expectation. So I can go back to the books and be like, okay, this is what it, it, it actually is. And it's not going to really color my opinion too much. I mean, if I can I respect in, that. Like if I go in with the book and then I see the show, I'm like, none of this ain't right. That, that's not how this happens. That's not how that should happen. This goes there. The, 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 the show's awful. 
I I don't get why I get excited when they make movies and TV shows based on books and things I've read. I've been let down every single time. I think the only time I read the book and watched the movie and was like, I'm okay with that was Mystic River. But I think about Shutter Island, they butchered. Gone Baby Gone, most people don't even know, was a movie because they casted uh, not Ben Affleck, but his brother Casey. That was a terrible <laughs> experience. Um, he had a brother. <laughs> oh, my God. It, 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 he he ugh, just don't even get me started. <laughs> but, you know, like I, I think about all. So I didn't realize I got really excited because there's a, a corny series of books uh, called The Dresden Files that. I love. They're great, like paperback beach reads. They're about two to three hundred pages. You know, you can crank through them. Even as slow of a reader as I am, I could crank through one in a weekend, no problem. Dresden uh, Files, as in the same Dresden Files show? Yes, I didn't know there was a show. Oh, I was so excited what? to go watch it. I was so excited wow. to go watch it, and I immediately regretted everything. I wish I had never seen it. Oh, it's so bad compared to the books, man. Oh, oh it's wild. terrible. Terrible. Oh. Uh, on the topic of, like, a show or movie doing something of equal value or close to value of its book counterpart, I think the Shawshank Redemption was phenomenal. So I haven't read that one. I feel bad because Shawshank Redemption is the only movie I've ever intentionally watched more than once. Oh man. I it's, if I remember right, it is either like the number two or number one, uh, rated movie ever made. Um, it is, it is up there in one of my favorite movies. I, I think that movie should be taught, uh, at like schools or, or like some sort of like constructive, uh, media, um, courses. And the book, the, the the book is just a short story. It's not even like a full book. It's isn't isn't it a um, the horror uh, writer? Isn't it Stephen King? One of his, yeah, it's a Stephen yes. King story, isn't it? And that once I found that out, my mind was just blown. That man, that movie. I, you know, what's funny is like. I've probably watched that movie over thirty times now. Uh, in single sayings from beginning to end. And there's very few lines I could quote from it. Because the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just in awe. Like, if you think about the message behind that movie, and here's this guy who is wrongfully accused of doing something and just has to accept that it's the way it is, it tries to make the best of it. It forms his whole life as something that should have been super terrible for himself. I mean, it was. Let's let's be honest. He didn't have the let's best be time in yeah. there. Um, and then the line that gets me the most, man. Like, I sit there the whole time just watching it. Like, it's the first time. Edge of the seat, you know. But the line that always gets me, and I'll cry every time. Does not matter is at the end where Morgan Freeman's going, I hope this, I hope that. But most of all, I just hope to see my friend. Oh, yeah. 
and then it, it fades away with him walking up to Andy on the beach, man. Oh, so good. That 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 hits that hits deep. But if one of the hardest themes for me um, with that movie that's reinforced is Brooks. Um, mm. the, mm-hmm. the old man who's there for like petty crime serving the rest of his life out. He grew up in there. He's been well, there. He's been living there for years and he finally gets out. He finally sees life outside of prison. And what happens? It's too much has trouble finding work has trouble with his work wants to go back inside because he feels like that's where he belongs. Well, he just, he he doesn't understand the world he's thrown into. It's such a, it it is generations past what he knew with what he gets thrust into. And it is so heartbreaking. Well, think about this way. And I've, I've actually thought about this. I've shown uh, that grocery store scene through to where he carves up in the, uh, the rafters Brooks was here. Mm-hmm. I've showed that as a, a tool in my law classes, right? If we think about the advancements that Brooks had to go through, um, there wasn't really quantity-wise a lot. Granted, the quality of the change was, was great, but like how many individual items of change he had to deal with wasn't as many as... Here's where I'm going with this. Imagine in 1980... You got to put away for manslaughter. You Mm -hmm. were driving drunk on New Year's Eve and you killed somebody. And you got the 25-year sentence. And you got out in 2005. In the 80s when I was born, we had two rotary phones in my house. TVs still had antennas. Mm Mm-hmm. 2005 you get out and people have TVs in their pocket the internet is a thing like how do you wrap your head around it it literally is an entirely from top to bottom different world than when you went in in the 80s Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is something that like a lot of people face and if you want to get super deep about it, the eighties was the era of the war against crime, the war on drugs, three strikes you're out. Those three strikes like Brooks could be petty theft, petty theft, petty theft. Now, yes, granted a lot of the three strike things that went down in those times, they're being reversed today because of overcrowding and lack of funding. Mm hmm. But you're throwing those people out into a world that makes absolutely no sense to them. And it's like a really vicious cycle. It it is, man. It is. You know, there's an interesting concept that I am a huge supporter of. It's something that education is trying to pick up on right now. But there's so much resistance to it. Um, The indigenous people have a practice known as restorative justice. Where rather than punishment and isolation, you have accountability and atonement within your community. Um, 
in Nova Scotia, a brief example of this, and I'll stop being on a soapbox again. Um, a girl was drunk and broke into a coffee shop and took all the money out of the register and broke an espresso machine. For oh, those geez. of you who don't know, espresso machines, that's like $1,500 right there that just was broken. Um, according to Nova Scotia law, that was enough for five to ten years in prison. The shop owner... Uh, the area that they live in Nova Scotia, I'm not going to pretend to know the name of the tribe off the top of my head, but there is a tribal council there that is well known within the community. The shop owner uh, is a member of that tribe. She said to the police of uh, the town, she's like, hey, would it be okay if instead of handling this in the traditional court system, we took care of this in a restorative council? So part of the process is you, you, the criminal, have to sit down with the victim, a group of other people from the community. These have to be people you know. These aren't strangers. It's like, you know, the sister of the victim, the mother of the criminal. These are people that you have to face. And the criminal has to talk about why they did what they did. The victim talks about how what they did impacted their lives. And then the criminal has to come up with the consequences, not punishment, but to fix what the victim said they broke. In this case, the girl ended up working at the coffee shop, getting paid. But like 30% of her paycheck went back to the shop owner until she paid off the debt that was owed. That girl is now a manager at that coffee shop. Oh, that's wild. What was the lesson learned there? My actions impact people. And the girl liked it so much that she stayed there even after she paid everything off. It didn't have to be there anymore because she thought the coffee shop provided a great service to the community. You build community rather than lock people away and put them in this vicious cycle of losing skills, losing time, losing how to be a human because you have to be closer to an animal when you're in prison for survival. You know, there's there's so many benefits to not putting people behind closed doors and forgetting about. Sure. Absolutely. I like that the focus was on community in the first place. I I don't know how that's going to be something uh, how do I say some, something to force? It has to be like a culture thing, right? Like we, we are grown to, or it, it is ingrained for us to care about the community and break away from our selfish individualistic natures mm -hmm. about this is what serves me. I don't care about anything else looking at the U S now because it's great. But how do we make the actions to the community matter to a person who doesn't care right like a, a person could be given that option mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they don't care about the community they don't care they don't care about doing this yeah. greater good and giving back for their wrongdoings they're just thinking well what's the easiest way for me to get out of this one well absolutely right and, and i think that's um where a lot of the skeptics um step in are like dude this doesn't work and where a lot of people like me that support go, yeah, I don't disagree with you. There are certain people I think of sociopaths 
that they they do. They need to be locked away. Not not because they don't deserve a shot, but because it'll never make sense to them. They don't get how we as a people connect, interact, and work as a common good. And yes, it does have to come from a place of community values. But like, why are you not out there right now shooting people in the face and taking their money, Dale? Uh, it doesn't interest me. It doesn't interest you. Okay, let's say it did interest you. What would stop you from doing it? Uh, being scared of the re re uh, repercussions. If the consequences and repercussions, right? Now, let me ask you something. That's we we say that that's what we need, right? People need to be f afraid of the consequences of getting caught. Growing up, who was your favorite family member? My grandma. All right. So you're over at grandma's house and you disappoint grandma. Oh, Which one like are you more afraid of? World. Are you more afraid of uh, disappointing grandma? Or are you more afraid of uh, possibly getting yelled at by a cop? Oh, man, definitely grandma, because I have that emotional, personal attachment. Right? So we have this ability to be governed by our relationships with people we care about. Problem is, is how do we teach people to care about one another? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I will openly admit we will struggle and fail and it will never actually work is it needs to be something that's culturally accepted. It works great in small communities. I think it works fantastic in smaller schools um, because if it's something that you can, especially in like elementary schools, man, you know, because you're teaching it young, you're ingraining it, you have 30 kids in front of you as opposed to my 150 um, or my school of 1,600. You know, it's it's much easier to deal with on a smaller scale because it's more realistic. But it's like playing the game, you know, telephone or, or letting something roll downhill. It'll pick up particles here and there where if you could get one kid to do it, you could get that one kid to get somebody else to do it. It multiplies over time. And if you get them young enough, it's something that could work. But. You know, unfortunately for Andy Dufresne, um, there was no restorative justice. And apparently he, what was it? It was a golf instructor, wasn't it? Uh, that was with his wife, I believe it yeah, was. Yeah, it was golf or tennis. It was one or the other. Unfortunately mm -hmm. for Andy, there's no restorative justice for murder. <laughs> Although that's not true in the real world, but for him there wasn't. It also took place during, what, the 50s? Yeah. It was, yeah, it, it, was, it was decades ago. Really? Really was an entire life in there. Yeah. 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 I'm so thinking, Dale, like, so go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just, I was just thinking of along the lines of creating community. Places like Scandinavia, um, the various like Nordic countries. They have a very what I've seen from what I've read from various like interviews and um, uh, uh, recordings of like the, the their policies and how their societies interact with each other they're very community driven mm -hmm. uh, helped by smaller towns right you have smaller 
populated towns spread throughout wherever. You don't have the huge cities of America spread every like couple miles or so. And it's a completely different attitude. Oh, 100%. How, how do we translate that? How do we move that? How can we enforce that thinking, those values, over to our larger scale cities, villages, towns, whatever, in these more populated places? It doesn't have to be the US. It can be over in like the UK, whatever other European countries. Just any sort of like larger population where it's so much harder to control, where it's so much harder to manage. There, I feel like that, that's the real, that's the real issue. There's many, many things that work there, right? But to kind of touch on, um, I just wanted to tell a story when it, when it came to you talk about the smaller villages, and I do believe it works in smaller villages as opposed to uh, the larger communities. And I think there's many reasons for that. But to kind of give an anecdotal evidence to support what you're saying, um, when I was growing up, I lived in the more rural part of a... They'll tell you they're suburban. I think they're rural as hell. Um <laughs> It's a town about 30 minutes west or east, sorry, of the city I live in now. Um, the way my neighborhood worked, you didn't have to have it. Somebody else did and would make sure that if you needed it, you could have it. Like, for instance, I, I remember very vividly, um, my father wanted to buy a... Uh, backhoe. Uh, a backhoe. I don't know what it's probably called. It's like a backloader or something. There's, we just called them backhoes because there was a hoe on the back. I don't know. Um, I don't know heavy machinery. Sue me. But our neighbor, who was an excavator, had one. And he was like, hey, man, you don't need to buy one. You can just use mine whenever you want. But if it's cool with you, can I use your bench saw? My father had this this great woodworking shop, and he actually had a saw that you could plane wood on. Um, it was huge. And I was like, okay, cool. We'll take care of each other. When you need it, you let me know. When, when I need it, I'll let you know. I could go and knock on my neighbor's door at 9 o'clock at night and be like, hey, man, I'm making cookies for tomorrow, but I ran out of sugar. Can I get a cup of sugar off of you? And they wouldn't think twice. It wouldn't be a bother to them. This was the neighborhood I grew up in. These are things that actually happened in my life. If I were to go knock on my neighbor's door right now in the city I live in, I would not be surprised if I got shot in the face. There's I just mean, we're supposed to be social distancing at the moment, so. Sure. But my neighbor is like, they, uh, you're right. You're right. Let's, even if it were COVID free, <laughs> I would not be surprised if I was greeted with great hostility and being an invader, how dare you knock on my door? What do you want? Mm -hmm. My grandmother used to keep uh, a dish of candies to hold people over so that she could bake for them in case they stopped by. Like that was her whole mentality. She had a room right next to where you walked in to her house it had a little table at it you could sit down she'd bring you a cup of tea you could munch on some candies and she'd bake you something 
we don't have that mentality anymore. We don't take care of each other anymore. And the more people you bring together, the more they fight for what limited space they have to be sovereign in theirs. And I think that's why and how we run into these issues. It works in smaller communities because smaller communities have to rely on each other. They need that cup of sugar. They need to borrow one another's tools. They need you to watch their kids while their other kid is sick at school and they got to go pick them up. You need to rely on each other in a smaller community. In a larger community, you have more ability to be self-sufficient. You have more resources available to you that you can purchase rather than get through kindness of a stranger. And we kind of end up with these hoarder mentalities in these larger communities. I think that's Absolutely. a large piece of problem. Absolutely. I was just going to say the self-sufficiency. Um, and it seems like as the quality of life improves, as we're able to be more self-sufficient and handle things on our own, not need another person around, our empathy, sympathy, compassion for those around us, willingness to lend whatever out, talk with whoever diminishes. Oh, 100%. I did it. Why can't you? Yes. Yes, yes. Why are you bothering me if I could do this on my own? Why can't you? Why don't you learn how? Why don't you do this, do this, whatever? There's there's so much I could say about that topic, man. And it bothers me on such a great level. I have I have a very dear friend of mine. Um, I'm not going to go into too many details because I, I know there's people that will know exactly who I'm talking about if I go into too many details. But both of us grew up extremely, extremely poor. Um, both of us have spent time homeless. Both of us have had to be the breadwinners uh, for our family before the age of 18. Um, we share a very similar life story. Once I was able to stand on my own, I've dedicated my entire life to giving back to those less fortunate. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a teacher by trade. I do not teach. I, I had a job for one year in an affluent community. Why? Because I literally needed a job and it was the only one I could get. The moment I got an offer to go back to an urban district, I ran. And a lot of people don't understand why I want to be exactly where I am. I've never taught in a normal school. I've always taught in either a school for those with emotional behavioral disorders uh, those who are have been expelled from other schools are those that are in a lower socioeconomic status where the budget for their school is next to nil. That's where I've always been. Because the way I look at it is I did it. So can you. Yes. Let me yes. show you how I did it. This friend I was discussing um, has managed to pull himself up and, and um, does pretty well for himself. And his mentality is that I did it. Why can't you? Everything is just an excuse. And don't get me wrong. People make excuses. People that are able make excuses. But I'm not going to write you off from that. Instead, I'm going to put the mirror in front of you and show you you're making excuses. How do I know you are? Because I did too. Let me show you what I did. I'm not going to leave you behind because I know what it felt like to be left behind. Mm -hmm. 
But the more successful and self-sufficient it seems that we become, the more we look at other people's downfalls as a, why aren't you doing what I did? Instead of, hey, I did it. Let me show you how. And it's a quite the frustrating situation to uh, to sit back and watch happen time and time again. And to try to convince people that the let me show you how method is better than going, I did it, you could do it, figure it out method. If we could figure out how to open people's eyes to that, Dale, you and I can save the world. What a tagline. What a headline. I love it. <laughs> So we started off, Dale, and talking about um, how video game companies have failed us, and we ended up <laughs> with talking about how human beings have failed us. One in the same. One in the same. Oh, Everything man. fails us in the end. You know? I, well, let's be honest. Humans are the game company, so it's really the same topic. We never got off exactly. track at all. Exactly. We, we stayed on exact. By the way, guys, uh, Dale and I were going to talk today about uh, collecting games in, in this uh, thing called Limited <laughs> Run, and we didn't even touch on that. So that's that's fun. <laughs> one day, one day we'll approach the topics we want to talk about. Uh, so I, I think we're going to, we're going to change the name. I just punched my microphone again. I can't wait to listen back to that. Oh man. It's probably so loud and obnoxious. And I'm not going to edit it out. You guys get to deal with that. Cause Dale and I are perfectly lined up right now in our recordings and I'm too lazy to deal with it. Um, <laughs> so, so we're going to have to change the episodes where Dale's on guys. I, I told him this. And I think he co-signs it. Um, so there's going to be bored and nerdy and then there's going to be bored and nerdy on a tangent. And uh, on a tangent is reserved specifically for when Dale's here because we don't know how to stay focused at all. <laughs> I mean, it's still still good information discussion brought up, but not not anywhere close to where we, we were starting. No, you know what, man? You know what I really love to promote here, and, and I'm thinking Dale's gonna be okay with this. I, I know that he's he's a way busier dude than I am. Dale is a member of a couple D&D runs while trying to put it on his own. And unlike me, Dale doesn't get the entire summer off. Dale, I would like to do this way more regularly. And I would also like to promote that anybody that's listening right now, get involved in our in our discords and our Twitches and our community. Because I would love, as we are putting these rants out there, for folks to pop into your chat, my chat, our Discord, wherever it kind of chime in to give us points to get even further lost on. I, I agree. What I would for a future you and me and chat, what I would love to see is to have some sort of like, ask me anything a uh, bit <sighs> session at the end. If, if we're live streaming this, if we're doing whatever, throw us, throw some questions over in chat. We'll write them down. We'll keep them and we'll, we'll approach them towards the end. That way, even if you're not here, you can always listen back and we'll hit you up with the questions. Oh, man, guys, this sounds like this sounds like Dale and I might actually be organizing something. That's terrifying that on topic. Oh, God. Well, we're not going to stay on topic <laughs> at all, but it'll be great either way. All right, Dale. So final thoughts for the folks. Also, don't forget to tell them where they could find you. Oh, asking me for final thoughts. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, humans failed us. Uh, video games are failing us. Uh, life is awful in COVID quarantine days. 
Uh, uh, if, yeah. if they want to share your nihilistic approach to life, <laughs> <laughs> where can they come commiserate with you? <laughs> Y'all can help me hate my life over at twitch.tv slash hey, it's Dale. Uh, hey with two Y's. H-E-Y-Y-I-T-S-D-A-L-E. Uh, we do some fun stuff over there. I don't hate everything. We've got like wild whiplash and we've actually got a current system similar to S-Stands. Uh, 60 minutes or less where y'all can vote on different games to play on stream if one's not your current jam. So there's going to be always something for everyone. I've told you guys before, and I'll say it again. I don't watch very many Twitch streamers. Dale is one of the few people I will watch. He's in the same category. Uh, Dale, I, this might be the only time you ever hear this. I just want you guys to know Dale is in the same category as Summit 1G and Dr. Lupo. Someone clip that. <laughs> all right guys until uh i see you again please do indeed stop failing each other and stay gold pony boy <laughs>